Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. And uh, yep, fantastic to, to just to be here and to continue our series entitled Consuming Fire. And if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, um, let me just sort of explain a bit about the series. The whole idea behind it is this. We think that the Christian life was not meant to be dull. It was meant to be characterized by passion and faith and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so at the start of this new year, although the start of February now. It's probably a bit silly to... I I should stop saying that. It's no longer the start of a new year. But uh, at the start of February, I want to encourage you to live lives and be a community uh, characterized by passion and faith and the the power of the Spirit. And there are certain uh, characteristics that I think we should all be seeking to develop as we do that. And one of them, which we're going to look at today, is gratitude. So far, we've looked at themes like perseverance, hunger for the Word of God, longing for the Spirit, uh, and they've all been great. But I would put it to you that gratitude is one of the most important, if not the most important, of all the characteristics we can develop. Because, as we'll see in a minute, it is actually so closely tied to worship, which is the heart of what we were created to do. And so we're going to look at this theme of gratitude through the lens of this story that we've just heard about Jesus healing the ten lepers. And I want to just draw out a few observations. It will be quite straightforward, quite simple in places. Um, But I want to just highlight what I think is a good process that all of us need to go on, a journey all of us need to go on in developing gratitude, which I've called the cycle of gratitude. And it begins with this. Receiving is the first phase of gratitude. Receiving. You see, gratitude is not just a, a sort of natural disposition that we have, which is like happiness. I'm just cheerful all the time. Gratitude is tied intrinsically to having received something. Robert Emmons, who is perhaps the world's leading expert on the science of gratitude, says there are two elements to gratitude. He says, first, it's an affirmation of goodness. We affirm that there are good things in the world, gifts and benefits we've received. So it's not just there's good in the world and I'm happy about it, but I've actually received good, beneficial things. Secondly, he says, we recognize that the sources of this goodness are outside of ourselves. We acknowledge that other people or even higher powers, if you're of a spiritual mindset, gave us many gifts, big and small, to help us achieve the goodness in our lives. Gratitude begins when we receive gifts. We receive good things, and we have to receive them and recognize them as such. Uh, John Ortberg, who's a popular Christian writer and pastor, he puts it like this. He says uh, the, the Latin word bene means good, and he says that gratitude always involves three benes, as it were. There is a benefit that is something that is good, that is beneficial to us. There is a beneficiary that is the one who receives the benefit, the good thing, namely us. And there is a benefactor. Uh, bene means good. Factor is linked to factory to do with production. So a benefactor is the one who produces or gives good gifts. And he says that to be truly grateful, we need to recognize that we are beneficiaries who receive benefits, good things, but we also need to recognize that those benefits come not through our own hard work and effort, but they come from a benefactor. They come from a source outside of ourselves, and we look to that source with a feeling of thankfulness. So the first step in becoming grateful practicing gratitude is to realize that we have received many gifts. We are beneficiaries who receive benefits. And each benefit we receive is an opportunity to practice thankfulness. But within the worldview of the Bible, actually, I think the writers of Scripture say something that is quite radical and quite challenging about this whole idea of gratitude. 
Because the writers of Scripture say that actually God is the ultimate benefactor. He is the one who is behind every good gift we receive. Whether it comes to us through human hands or not, actually, ultimately, every good gift comes from God. And there are plenty of times where the, uh, the psalmist talks about the benefits of God. and There's loads about gratitude. James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, according to the worldview of the Bible. Every benefit you and I receive, no matter how it comes to us, actually finds its original source in God. Even the blessings that come to us through human hands find him as their ultimate source. And seeing the world like that is quite radical. It requires quite a shift in the way that we think. But I think it's quite a powerful and challenging idea. Uh, one of my favorite novelists is Zadie Smith, um, who's just written a number of just brilliant, brilliant novels. And uh, I think it's her second novel on beauty. She uh, captures this idea brilliantly. There's a character called Jerome who reflects on her father, How uh, his father Howard. And Jerome is... Uh, uh, he's religious of sorts, and his father is an avowed atheist. And uh, he says this. What I've realized, what I've really realized is Howard has a problem with gratitude. It's like he knows he's blessed, but he doesn't know where to put his gratitude because that makes him uncomfortable because that would be dealing in transcendence and we all know how he hates to do that. So by denying that there are any gifts in the world, any essentially valuable things, that's how he short circuits the gratitude question. If there are no gifts, then he doesn't have to think about a God who might have given them, but that is where the joy is. Now, I think that's quite a profound quote. Clearly, Zadie Smith is not saying you can only be grateful if you are a religious person, not at all. And actually, the novel has all sorts of comments on religion and what passes for religion, and there's a lot going on in there. But I think it's quite an interesting idea that if it's true that God is the ultimate benefactor behind every good gift, that does have radical consequences, which many of us actually might not like to engage with. Because it cuts across our sense of entitlement, this idea that I actually deserve every good thing that comes my way, or I get it through my own work. If it's true that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, then that means that I need to live with a sense of cosmic humility, as it were. There is something transcendent, uncomfortably transcendent, actually, about the worldview of Scripture and the practice of gratitude. Because when we realize that everything comes to us as a gift from God, it should cause us to live with this sense of wonder, of humility, of awe, and of worship, where every breath is an opportunity to give praise and thanks to our Creator. And as Zadie Smith says, that is where the joy is. When we live with that sense of wonder and worship as we were created, there we find joy in life. And that, I think, is what we see here in this passage. These 10 guys come to Jesus, and they receive a gift from God. And it starts them, or at least one of them, on this journey of this cycle of gratitude, as it were. This is how the passage starts. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Just pause there for a second. Now, the Greek word lepra, uh, it doesn't just mean leprosy in a technical sense. Actually, it's a word that covers a whole load of different skin conditions, many of them uh, contagious. And there were all sorts of Jewish laws and instructions for what to do if you had any of these skin conditions. Uh, if you're interested, which I'm sure you are, uh, read Leviticus 13 and 14 and Numbers chapter 5. And if you're really interested, there's actually a book that's outside of the Bible, which um, has 14 chapters of the rabbis arguing about what to do with skin conditions 
because clearly the two and a half in the Bible weren't enough. And they just expand it out to like every conceivable circumstance. So they talk about what to do with different colors of skin conditions. And Leviticus mentions four, but the rabbis didn't think that was enough. So they expand that to 72 different colors. And there are instructions on when a priest can look at a skin condition and when they can't. You know, certain times of day, the light's maybe not right, so they can't do it then. It's got to be between these hours. Can't do it inside. I'm sure you've all read this anyway. If not, put it on your reading list. Like, this book up here, Zadie Smith down here, and <laughs> somewhere. Like, like, it's just it's intense, and it's detailed. The point is, if you had some, one of these skin conditions, you wouldn't only have a problem that is skin deep. Like, you wouldn't only have a skin problem. You'd have a, a, an anxiety problem and a social problem. Every area of your life was affected by this. There would be social stigma that would be put on you. You'd be constantly terrified, like, where you ranked on the rabbi's lists of what was acceptable and not. If you were going through uh, leprosy or something like that, you would actually be required to be separated from your community. People would literally have to stay outside their community until such a time as the priest would verify you were cleansed again at a particular day, going through a particular process, and then you'd be allowed to come back to be with your family. You'd be allowed to come back to worship in the temple. And all the while you were outside the community, you would have to tear your clothes as a sign to everyone that you were unclean pre-ripped jeans were not a fashion statement. And if you're wearing them today, just think what message you may be communicating. <laughs> That's, yeah, over to you. I'm staying away from you. <laughs> but not only that, like you would actually literally have to shout. If anyone came near you and you thought, oh gosh, these people haven't noticed my pre-ripped jeans. Like I've got to tell them that I'm unclean so they don't get uh, unclean by being near me. And so you'd have to stand there and go, unclean, unclean, unclean. Which is why when Jesus passes by, it says that these people stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Because they knew they couldn't get close to him because they would make Jesus and those around him ceremonially unclean. What's amazing is Jesus' response. He wasn't disgusted by them. He didn't run from them just to kind of preserve his own purity. Rather, when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus healed them with a word. And this is powerful because it communicates, I think, something about the heart of God. God is not put off when he sees the brokenness in our lives. He doesn't think, oh, I can't get near to that person. They make, make me somehow unclean. Like, God knows we have needs. God knows we are broken people. And he is willing to engage with us. He doesn't feel the need to isolate himself or keep us at arm's length. He loves to heal us. He loves to bless us. This is actually not the first time Jesus has healed a leper in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 5, he did it. But there, he didn't do it with a word. He actually reached out and touched the leper and healed him, which according to Jewish law would have made Jesus unclean. Actually, the reverse happened. Jesus' cleanliness cleansed the leper rather than his uncleanliness rubbing off on Jesus. And this tells us something important about God, which is that he loves to bless people. He loves to draw close to us in our brokenness and turn our lives around. And each of these 10 guys, as they left, they get clean, cleansed. And think about this. Healing for them is not just, I had a skin problem and now I don't. It's far deeper than that. Because as they were cleansed at a skin level, actually every area of their lives were changed. They were allowed back into society, back to live with their family again. They could wear jeans without holes in. Like They could go back to the temple and worship the social stigma was removed. Everything in their lives were changed. You see, God cares about every area of our life. The brokenness in every area of our life, he's not put off by it. He longs to renew it. And as if this isn't amazing enough, 
verse 16, it's only when the guy comes back to Jesus that Luke tells us, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus calls him you foreigner, which sounds a little bit harsh, but I think what he's doing is he's actually saying, all you people around me, you are ostracizing this guy, thinking of him as just a foreigner, yet he is the one who has acted honorably in this situation. The Samaritans were essentially like an offshoot of the Jewish people. Uh, the history of it is quite long, but, but basically they had different uh, views and practices. Some shared beliefs, uh, but they set up a different temple on a different mountain from the one in Jerusalem. They worshipped there, and they had different practices, different scriptures. Uh, and so there was animosity between these two groups, the Jews and the Samaritans. And all sorts of traditions had raised up between the groups about how much they could interact. And Jews would literally walk around any Samaritan village rather than going through and becoming unclean. They wouldn't eat together. They wouldn't talk together. They wouldn't use any utensil that the other group had used. So on two counts, this Samaritan guy would have been considered unclean by Jesus' followers. One, religiously and ethically, he was a Samaritan, not a Jew, not part of the chosen people of God, apparently. And two, he had this skin condition. And yet for Jesus, neither of those things stop him engaging with them, which tell us this. God does not pour out his blessings simply down the lines of what we deem to be acceptable. He blesses all people, whether they know him or not, whether they are close to him or far from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, even to those who don't believe in him or recognize him as the giver of the gifts. While I was writing this talk, I was, I was listening to Stormzy's new album, which is obviously like natural sermon prep soundtrack. <laughs> I'm sure that's Dave, how Dave does it as well. Um, but... <laughs> and there was an, a, a track on it. I, I was, was literally writing the talk because I listened to it. There's a track on it called Rainfall, where um, he, I'm not, not going to perform it for you, uh, but uh, he, he uh, is like grappling with the themes of kind of uh, wealth and success and how he has just risen to fame and the extent to which that is his own work and then people's responses to that. And it's an interesting kind of complex song, as the whole album is, I guess. Um, and there's this line in it where he says, Lord, let the rain fall on my enemies, on all of my enemies. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on in his mind as he's writing that. Actually, it sounds kind of angry. It sounds like a judgment thing, like he's saying, these people are critiquing me, and, and, and Lord, just, just let rain fall on them, as if it's a kind of anger thing. I don't know. That's kind of how it comes across, at least. But as I was listening to it, it dawned on me, actually, Jesus said something really similar to that, but with a completely different heart. Because in Jesus' day, rain wasn't like a, it wasn't a, a sign of judgment, like it is in Britain, where we're like, we must be under the judgment of God, it's raining all the time. But like, actually, rain was a blessing in Jesus' day, because you're living in an agrarian society where you needed rain to cause crops to grow for your livelihood and your flourishing. And so Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that we need to love our enemies. Why? Because that's how God acts towards them. And how does God show his love? He lets the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. God's reign is a sign of his blessing. And Jesus says, actually, he doesn't only bless those who love him or are close to him. He loves all people. This is what theologians call the doctrine of common grace. The idea that God gives gifts to all people, irrespective of their position towards him, whether they know him or not. Every good thing you and I receive is a gift from him. In fact, Luke 6, 35 says that God is kind to the ungrateful. So my prayer for you today is the prayer of Stormzy, Stormzy, uh, which is like, may, may, <laughs> does that work? Did that not work? Did, he, did you see that coming? Was that uh, a yay or nay for future services? I'm preaching this two more times today. Oh, okay. Lou thinks it's a good joke, so I'm ditching that from future services. <laughs> not a good, not a good, uh, it'll work in Bethany Green. Okay, next week. Great. Yeah. My prayer for you is the prayer of Stormzy. It's like, may God's 
rain fall on you. Like whether you know him or not, may his blessing come into your life and make a huge difference to you. May you know God's blessing. May you receive his good gifts. But of course, receiving is only the first step towards gratitude. It needs to be followed by step two, which is recognizing that we have received. You see, the lepers, they leave Jesus apparently unhealed, and Luke tells us as they went, they were cleansed. We don't know how long after they went, like a mile down the road, two miles down the road when they got to the temple, but as they were going, they get cleansed, and it says that one of them, when he saw he was healed, it's like he stops, and then he goes back to Jesus. I think many of us don't stop. (laughs) Many of us, we kind of just go through lives with such a momentum, it's like, okay, uh, we just sort of ask for things and maybe we move on, and we just don't stop and look and go, oh, wow, I've just received this good gift from God. I know for me, like the pace of life means that I sort of devour any opportunities I have for gratitude because I rarely stop and take stock of what's happened. It's a silly illustration, but it dawned on me the other day. I can't remember the last time I watched a TV show to the end of the credits. I used to do that. I I just can't remember the last time I did it. Why? Because I get to the end of an episode and what happens is the names start rolling and suddenly this box pops up which might as well say, this is boring, let's skip it. And there's like five, four, three, two, one, on to the next episode. And so I literally fail to give credit to these people who have given me so much of their time and energy that I've enjoyed over the last 45 minutes or so. Now I'm not saying that we all need to go and like turn that setting off and, and give thanks one by one for, oh, the man who taught the person a Russian accent. Oh, oh I'm so great. Like we, we don't have to do that. But what I am saying is that in a weird kind of way, what I do with Netflix is a picture of what I do with life, which is that I so often am just like, I pray and I ask God for stuff and then I don't stop to think about it. I just move on to the next thing. Even when things go well, I might nominally go, oh, great, but then I move on to the next thing. And our pace of life can mean that we rarely just stop and take stock of what has been going on. David Stendhal Rast, who is a Benedictine monk, tells the story about how he moved to spend some time in an African nation where they had very limited resources. And he said being there with no electricity and very little water made him incredibly grateful for those things. But then when he moved back to America and got assimilated back into his normal life, quickly that gratitude dissipated. And so what he found he had to do was create things that would jar him, that would just make him stop and see the gifts that he had received. And so he took little colored stickers and he put them on his taps or on his uh, plug sockets so that every time he went to use them, it suddenly just broke that kind of like automatic what's next sort of thing so that he had to stop and go, oh yeah, it could be that I don't have electricity, but I do. I recognize that that is a good gift. I think we need to do things like that. I don't know what it is for you, but I do think that we need to intentionally find ways of just breaking the routine so that we recognize what we have received. Psalm 103, the psalmist says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. He says that because he realizes it's not our default to recognize all the benefits of God. I think our default is to forget the benefits of God. So he had to literally say to his soul, don't do that. Like, stop and recognize what you have received. And then in the psalm, he just lists benefit after benefit after benefit. I think there's real virtue in doing that. You may want to actually try keeping a gratitude journal. Maybe you do already. But uh, here's a simple practice you may want to try this week to kind of break that routine, to sort of jar you a little bit. Why not, at the end of every day or at lunchtime, if that works better for you, look back over your day in hour increments. You can forget the bits where you're asleep, or you can just say, I'm thankful for sleep. But like every other hour, why don't you look at it and just try and identify at least one thing for which you are grateful that happened in that hour. Actually, go through your calendar if that helps you. Remember the meeting I had there, the conversation I had there, and try and find things to be grateful and literally write them down. And here's the challenge. 
do that every day for a week and try and make every hour's gratitude thing completely unique. That will stop you from falling into the routine of going, oh yeah, good conversation again, good conversation again. Like try and keep it unique every hour. And what you'll find is at the beginning of the week, it's probably quite easy. Around the middle of the week, it gets hard because you're like, I don't want to repeat myself. By the end of the week, you will have started to notice things that you wouldn't have done at the beginning. Just by stopping and taking stock and literally writing things down like the psalmist does, it can help us to recognize the gifts we have received. As Stendhal Ross says, we rush through life and we miss opportunities because we don't stop. But then he also says that when we open our hearts to opportunities, opportunities invite us to do something. And that something is phase three of what we see in this passage, which is returning. Returning. See, the passage says that as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. So for this one leper, his journey continued, not only receiving healing, recognizing it, but then doing something with it, using it as an opportunity to return to Jesus. See, true gratitude, I think, is not just a feeling that we have when we spot good stuff in our lives. It needs to be expressed for it to fulfill its journey. Uh, We've been trying to teach our three-year-old daughter uh, about this recently and um, we've been trying to teach her just to say thank you and uh, the other day Helen gave her something and she didn't say thank you and Helen said what do we say we say thank you and she said but I was thinking it in my head (laughs) and Helen's like no that's not good enough you you, like you need to actually express it and she said but I thought it really loudly (laughs) like we kind of laugh but actually I do that all the time Even in in my good moments where I do recognize the gifts, I often just think in my head, oh, yeah, I received a gift there. But until I express it, it's not gone full circle. It's not actually done what gratitude is meant to do. See, gratitude is not just about receiving and recognizing. We need to express it as well. And this one guy out of the ten, he comes back. He's the only one. And I'm sure that the other nine, they kind of got to keep their healing, get to keep their blessing. There's no sense that they kind of lost it because they didn't come back. But there is something that this guy gets, which we'll see in a moment, that the other nine don't. Because returning, expressing in gratitude actually opens up newer opportunities to grow in this area. Until gratitude is expressed, it's somehow incomplete. It's not finished its journey. So let me suggest just a few things that we can do to learn to grow in expressing gratitude. The first is, I mean, quite obviously, thanking God. When you recognize blessings in your life, take time to come back to God and say, I recognize that you are the giver of every good gift. And I want to thank you through worship, through prayer. So often I pray about things. I'm like, there's that difficult situation coming up or that challenging conversation or that sermon or that, that, that seminar I've got to do or something about it. Lord, would you help me? And then it goes well and then I just move on to the next thing and I don't think to come back and go, oh yeah, I recognize it went well because you helped me. Like so often our prayer can be one-sided. We pray in advance about things, but never reflective. And so one of the things I've been trying to do the last six months is just write out my prayers. Not every one, but but regularly, just writing out my prayers. Partly it just helps keep me focused rather than my mind going off to different things. But also it means I can then look back over my prayers and say, oh, here are the things that I asked for. And God didn't actually deliver on them. And then I can give thanks as a result. I don't know what it might be for you, but can I encourage you? Build gratitude, reflective gratitude into your prayer life. A second practice, though, is to thank others. Not only thank God, thank others. I mean, having said that 
that God is the author of every good gift, actually, we need to recognize that the way he blesses us is often through other people, through the hands of others who act like his vessels of blessing. And so it's appropriate to express thankfulness not only to him, but to those who are a blessing to us as well, those who are used by him to bring blessing and goodness into our life. This leper comes to Jesus and he does three things. It says he, he praises God, but he thanks Jesus. Why? Because he recognizes that God is the one who has healed him, but the way in which he's done it is through the vessel of Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus makes it slightly complex, meaning uh, God and man together in one, in the way that neither you nor I are. But actually, I think there are three things that the guy does. He thanks God, he praises Jesus, and in the middle, he also falls down at Jesus' feet, which is a sign of worship which sort of indicates that these two strands of kind of God-oriented praise and human-oriented praise come together in his understanding that, oh, wow, God is literally standing before me in this person. But for us, I think they are most often two separate strands, aren't they? We praise God, but we also thank the people who God has used to bring goodness into our lives. And I would encourage you to do that. Express gratitude to one another. Robert Emmons, uh, who I quoted earlier, has written brilliantly on the science of gratitude and its benefits for our mental health and our physical health. Uh, but he also says that he's a so there's a social dimension to, uh, to gratitude. He says it is a relationship-strengthening emotion because it requires us to see how we've been supported and affirmed by other people. And when we actually express that gratitude... To, for the way that another person has treated us, or the things that they've said, or the, 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 the tone they adopted, or the practical ways they served us. When we express that, it helps the other person to feel known, and loved, and accepted, and it means that together we get to celebrate, and it actually strengthens our bonds together. I would encourage us, I want to encourage us to be a church that practices gratitude in our worship, in our prayer, but also just in the ways we talk to one another. When you recognize the way that someone has been a blessing to you, don't just think it very loudly. <laughs> like, think it out loudly. Like, say it. Express it to one another. I think it will cause our relationships to be deepened. It will do us both good. But a third idea is not only to thank God and to thank others, but also to share testimony, to publicly give thanks for the way God has blessed us and through other people as well. And this guy comes to Jesus he praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. Like This wasn't just a sort of subtle kind of quiet whisper in Jesus' ear. Hey, you know, I, I was the guy with the skin and now I'm sorted and thank you, thank you. Like, he expressed it in a visible, obvious way that then allowed Jesus to teach a lesson to those who were listening in. This guy was a foreigner. You thought he was the bad guy in the story. He's not. Let me teach you about the goodness of God. Like This became a teaching opportunity when this guy verbally and visibly shared his testimony. I want to encourage us to be a community where we celebrate the things that God has done. Not in a way that draws attention to us, but in a way that draws attention to him. Read through the Gospels, and time and time again, it says that Jesus healed a person or a group of people, and then what happened? Word spread about him, so that when Jesus moves to the next village, people are there ready to bring out the sick to him. Why? Because testimonies raise faith. Actually, the Hebrew word, the root of the Hebrew word, ud, it means um, to return, to repeat, to do again. The power of testimony is that as we share what God has done, it causes our faith that we can return to God and he will do it again. What he has done for you, he is capable of doing for me. 
So an example, the end of last year, I preached on healing, and I thought it was really important in every service to try and have someone share testimony before we talked about healing, because I knew that if you could hear a story of someone in your community, hear Chloe share her story, it was brilliant. Like, if you could hear that, then part of the power of testimony is it makes you think God could do that again, so that when we come and pray at the end, my job's a bit easier, because your faith is already raised, right? Because we trust that testimony causes us to, to, to put our faith in God. And one of the things that I found really fascinating was the number of people in all the services who came to me at the end of that and said, oh, I wish we heard more testimonies at Christchurch. Why don't we share more testimonies at Christchurch? And my response was always, when was the last time you shared a testimony at Christchurch? Because where do you think these stories are going to come from? Like so often we don't notice the good that God does. And if we do, we keep it to ourselves. And I get that. Like I don't like sharing spiritual stories or stories that make me seem good. And it's not about that. But actually, I think there is power in sharing our stories so that others benefit as well. And so together as a community, our faith gets raised for what God can do amongst us. I want to encourage you to share your stories. Share them with Connect Group leaders. Share them with Tim and Jackie. If appropriate, they may be the sorts of stories we can share here so they benefit the whole community. I would love to hear them. But we're trying to get better at capturing stories of, of answers to prayer or healing. So if you have any of those, email prayer at christchurchlondon.org or email me. And I'd love to just hear those stories and see if we can share them in a way that creates more faith for what God will continue to do amongst us. And the thing is that as we go through this cycle, of receiving, recognizing, and then returning in worship, in thanksgiving, and in testimony, actually what we find is that the whole cycle just starts all over again. It doesn't stop there. You share the testimony, and that's the end. Actually, it continues. You pick up where you left off, back at receiving. So Jesus says, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, the one guy, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. All ten of them received the first time. All of them got a blessing from God. Only one of them returned. Now, I don't think that those other nine like, had no sense of gratitude, but the gratitude didn't result in them coming back. And so they missed out on something that this guy got. Namely, Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well. well. Literally, your faith has saved you. And he uses that phrase three times in the Gospel of Luke, other times in the other Gospels. And it has a broad range of meaning. It means both salvation of our bodies in terms of healing, it means restoration of our lives, it means salvation of our souls and an eternal perspective. All these things wrapped up. But Jesus only says it to the one of the ten. To the others, he says, you've been cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. We're not all ten cleansed. But to this one, he says, your faith has saved you. Which suggests that actually, by coming round the cycle, he has experienced a level of salvation that was deeper than what the other guys experienced. It moved from just being skin deep to being holistic. All of his life, spiritually, physically, experienced something of God's rescue. Mentioned earlier the idea of common grace, this sort of sense that actually God blesses all people, whether they know him or not. But common grace is not meant to stop at common grace. It's meant to lead to saving grace. That is, as we experience the gifts of God, they're designed us, they're designed to make us come to him, putting our trust not only in the gift but the giver, such that we experience the full depth of what God wants to do in our lives. Salvation at every level. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus, I hope you find this to be a really helpful place to explore some of your questions of faith at whatever pace works for you. No pressure. We want to help you however that journey goes. But I want you to know today and be in no doubt about this, that God loves you, that he gives you good gifts, 
that every blessing you have comes from him ultimately. And he's not going to stop giving you good gifts because he gives gifts to people irrespective of what they think about him. He gives gifts to the ungrateful and the downright hostile. He pours rains of blessing on his enemies. But his deepest desire for you and my deep desire for you One of the reasons we do what we do here is because I don't want you just to experience some of the common blessings. I want you to experience the deepest, fullest expression of God's rescue plan, which is that you have relationship with him in this life and into eternity. So my encouragement to you is, as you reflect on the goodness in your life, would you allow it to bring you not just to a sense of gratitude for the gifts, but for the giver as well? And the way that we actually respond to God is by applying essentially the cycle of gratitude to the person of Jesus Christ. Because John 3 and Romans 8 and various places express this idea that really Jesus is the greatest gift God ever could give us. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the ultimate gift from God. And God gave him so that we could experience relationship with him to the full. Jesus came and lived the life that we live, died a death that we should have died in our place, and rose again from the dead to break us free from the things that often hold us captive, sin, failure, and death itself. And the promise is that if you recognize this gift and return to God and say, I put your trust, I put my trust in his death and resurrection on my place, then you will get an even deeper gift, which is not only blessings in this life, but relationship with God that extends into eternity. And if you have big questions about faith, as I say, I hope this will be a great place to explore them. Come along to Alpha. As Lou said earlier, uh, I did an outstanding talk this week. (laughs) Thank you for expressing gratitude. (laughs) Next week's talk will be on humility. (laughs) I won't be giving it. But like, like... as she said, like next week, this week, this coming Wednesday, we're going to be talking about who is Jesus. And then we'll look at next week, the week after, we'll look at what he did, how he lived, and then why he died, and the difference that makes in our lives. And if you've got questions, that'll be a great place to grapple with them. You'd be more than welcome. But if you know actually today you'd like to give your life to him and begin to experience that, that life to the full that he promises, we can do that as well. And we'll have a prayer team who would love to pray with you as we close. Maybe the band can come on up. In a, moment, um, in a moment, I'm going to ask us to sing a song that expresses gratitude. And actually, we've kind of already done it. Like that song about the goodness of God is just, just perfect, really, about his mercy, his goodness is running after us. It was a great, great way to worship earlier. But we're going to sing a song called 10,000 Reasons, which really expresses gratitude. And, and as you sing it, you may want to just use that as your prayer of response, or you may actually want to call to mind, you probably don't have time for 10,000 in the three minutes of the song, but like call to mind specific things for which you are grateful and use this as your expression of gratitude. But there is actually one line or one bit that I always find really challenging and struggle to sing, to be perfectly honest, and it's the final verse where it says, and on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. And honestly, when I sing that, I hope that will be true. I don't know that it will be true. I can't guarantee that my final breaths will be ones of gratitude. I, I want that to be true, but I sing it, hopefully, not always confidently. One of my heroes was a guy called Dallas Willard, who is just a, an amazing writer and thinker, uh, and a philosopher, a prodigious mind, but also just a guy with an unhurried and deep soul. And 
um, we had the privilege of having him at Christchurch years ago, and it was just just an incredible experience just being in the presence of a guy like this. And um, I read his biography last year, and his good friend Gary Moon writes about his final days and how he had a short battle with cancer that ended up taking his life. And on the 8th of May, 2013, Gary said he was sitting by his bedside, and he writes this. In a voice clearer than I had heard in days, Dallas leant his head back slightly and with his eyes closed said, thank you. It did not feel that Dallas was talking to me, but to another presence that he seemed to sense in the room. And those were the last words of Dallas Willard. Thank you, he said, to a very present and now finally visible to him, God. And when I read that, I found that deeply moving, but also completely believable. Because from what I know about this guy's life, he died the way he lived. I think you actually only get to die a death like that if you've lived a life like that. And if I want the final words that come out of my mouth to be ones of gratitude, then I need to have words of gratitude coming out of my, out of my mouth as a habit, as a lifestyle. I want to be developing gratitude now in the good seasons. I, I'm aware it may not be a good season for you right now, but wherever you're at, develop gratitude right now. Allow thank you to be the words that come out of your mouth day in, day out, so that on that day, you will simply continue the lifestyle that you've begun living. Why don't we stand? I'm just going to pray for us before we worship. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Lord, we thank you for every good and perfect gift you give to us. Would we have eyes to recognize your blessings and would we be quick to return to you in thanks? And I pray that you would help us to cultivate grateful hearts and a culture of gratitude in this service. And as we grow in celebrating what you have done, would you give us faith that you will do even greater things in our midst? Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.